Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 21 91. Hi, it's Brett Phillips here, host of The First Serve, and thank you for downloading the latest edition of Crunching the Numbers, one of our podcast offerings here at The First Serve. You can get your weekly live tennis fix with The First Serve every Monday night on the SCN Radio Network at 7pm Eastern. All the broadcast details of how you can listen can be found at our website, thefirstserve.com.au. Welcome to Crunching the Numbers, the first serve's in-depth look at the art and science of playing the game. Well, welcome to another episode of Crunching the Numbers. I'm your host, Mark Safoulis from The Tennis Menu. We also have the most sought-out data analyst that the world has seen. He has been on standby for six months during COVID-19. The US Open starts and he is the most sought after person you will actually find in the game of tennis. Shane Leonard from Data Driven Sports Analytics. You have not slept in like four days. You're watching matches all night. You're charting, you're doing the numbers. What is going on in the world of the most sought after data man going around? What is happening? Mark, I, I can't believe you didn't lead with uh, how good my beard's looking. I, <laughs> I think that the listeners are actually sick and tired of hearing about your beard. But we, let me tell you, what is going on in your world at the moment? You are not sleeping. You are charting. You are studying matches. You are looking at all these matches going on at Cincinnati. What is happening? Yeah, well, it's uh, been, uh, I suppose, a busy couple of weeks, but the, the tour resuming, and uh, it's been good to really... Get, uh, to start diving in into a lot of the matches. So th- there's a lot of charting, obviously, involved in that. Um, but uh, it's good as well that a couple of players that we're working with are having some some really good success. Um, um, and, and, yeah, uh, I think uh, it's only going to get busier for the next couple of weeks. We've got the US Open and then uh, very quickly onto the clay court season. So um, it's a very condensed season. So I think today's topic is actually quite timely um, to talk about when, when we're, we're thinking about scheduling. Uh, we are, and I'm going to get to that in a minute. I know you, you're kind of a guy that probably won't talk too much about yourself, but the, the kind of um, stuff that you're doing, you know, you're staying up late at night, you're charting matches, watching what's going on. You know, obviously, you know, you're looking at scouting players. What happens in the world of a, a data analyst at this kind of time? We're obviously in a Grand Slam period now with the US Open not too far away. Yeah, absolutely right, Mark. So uh, we, we've got to watch the match um, as well. Uh, we're c- collecting data. I've got a, a number of different methods that we use. So we, we use traditional match tagging in some instances, and we've got our own uh, computer vision tracking tool as well that we use. Um, but yeah, you're, you're looking at not only your player, but you're looking at um, opponents, you're looking at the draw, potentially looking at two rounds ahead. I know you should only think one round at a time, but in terms of a data analyst, you've just got to be ready because you don't know what the schedule is for the next day. They could be first up and they could be the night session the day before. So um, it's really important that you've done, uh, you're probably doing two, three rounds ahead in terms of preparation. And then um, because once the result's known for your player, then uh, yeah, you, you go in, review the reports and you put your notes in and have a quick discussion with the coach. Um, um, yeah, so it, it's been a busy time, but I, um, I'm loving it. <laughs> oh, no, it sounds like it. It's definitely your passion and you can hear it in your voice when you talk about 
you know, what you do. And you do a great job of it, hence the reason a lot of players are uh, after you. And obviously, we're not going to dive too much into those players at the moment. Obviously, it's uh, there's a lot of confidentiality that we need to need to adhere to. And um, here to talk about what a lot of people are probably asking us a question on. We've had a lot of feedback. And this is something that is obviously big for coaches, but also big for someone like yourself. And we're going to talk a little bit about how to peak at the right times and and what players need to go through. And obviously everybody's so different in the game, but what do players need to have behind them when they get to certain events? And, you know, we're talking about players you're working with a little bit at the moment in terms of their numbers, but, you know, what kind of data do you do research on to allow players to understand their peak time to enter a tournament? I think the first thing I might mention is uh, I've, d- I've done a little bit of analysis on this um, at the tour level and, um, with uh, players, so the, the big, big, big four for, um, at the time, including Andy Murray. Um, and, and so I did this analysis maybe 2018 and it was looking at, based on surface, how many matches those players needed to, to hit their optimal level. So looking at, you know, when they're making fewer unforced errors, but also making more winners, winning more points. Um, and, and, and it was quite interesting. Uh, Rafael Nadal on, on clay, um, he could walk up with, with two matches on clay and he'd be right at the peak um, uh, almost. And then, then you've got someone like, uh, well, sorry, him on, on the hardcore. He needed more matches. He needed, I think, 11 or 12 matches before he could hit, hit sort of top stride. Um, whereas someone like Federer, he could turn up with one or two matches and, and he's, he's um, at, at such a high level that he's probably not at his peak, but he's at a high level that he's winning most matches anyway. So that, that was quite interesting. And, and as a practical example of that, we, I applied that to a player that I was working uh, last year, Thomas Fabiano um, with Federico Placidilli. We uh, had just finished the, the clay court season and we, we, we looked at the grass court season and we knew he, he, it was probably his best surface, but He'd always been a, um, a slow starter and he probably didn't pick his schedule very well. But we had a couple of things uh, this time that were it was a bit of an advantage. One, he his ranking, he had a good run at the Australian Open and a good start to the season. So his ranking was a bit higher. So it gave him the luxury of um, choosing b- between um, going into qualities of um, the ATP 250s or the, the 500s and and some of the, the better challenger events as well. He, he could have got direct entry. So we had a look at the schedule and, and we, in terms of a peak or how many matches we, we calculated he needed, he needed nine matches before Wimbledon, which is what we wanted to peak for. So uh, we went about sort of picking tournaments to do that. And, and uh, most of them were ATP events. Um, the coach was quite insistent that he didn't want to play challenges. We, we did end up, because he had a couple of early defeats, we did end up playing one challenger. And then by the time he got to Eastbourne, he had a fantastic run, got to semifinals. And when he went into Wimbledon, he yeah, he had a tremendous run. He beat Sitsipas in the first round, beat Karlovic in the second round, and ended up losing to Vazasco in three, three close sets. So that was something that we did it from a practical point of view. It's a fine line, I feel, with players because you obviously need a certain amount of matches to be able to feel like you're really in the zone playing well. But there's also the element of fatigue. And if you do play too many matches or you are on the road for too long a period of time or you have scheduled in you know, four or five weeks in America when you live in Europe and, you know, you're getting homesick by the time the, the, the priority one tournament comes around. That is kind of the balance that you, you find as a coach. And the other, the other one is where, you know, you've got players that may not have had a rest day for a period of time because they've played so many matches in a row and then they're scheduled to play first up in their, in their highest priority tournament. And it's kind of a fine line. And 
What kind of numbers have you found with players that you've been working with that really resonates well? And is there a, is there an average kind of number that you're finding right across the board, or is it quite individual? I found that it's, it's quite individual, and and some of those examples that I gave um, at the time, uh, I might just touch on Nadal, for instance. He he was, I think, eight, eight. So this is 2014, 2015. The data set I think I was using. He was around eight matches in the hard court. His number actually is a lot lower. So what they've done in in the last couple of years, he's actually going into slams with fewer preparation tournaments, and he he almost uses the first two three rounds to tune up and then pick at the end. So that's a different approach that he's taken as he's got, gotten older. But he's made it work. Um, but yeah, the, the numbers are quite individual by surface as well. A lot of the big guys don't play a huge lead up, and I'm talking men, men and women um, in, in terms of the grass court season, for instance. I know Novak Djokovic traditionally doesn't play a lead up tournament. Nadal's also sort of dropped that from his repertoire. Federer plays um, Harley, but doesn't really, I mean, it's, it's not a lot of matches, but yeah, it's, it's quite individual, Mark. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting because this year is going to throw up a challenge in itself. So all players are going to have the same preparation, basically, with Cincinnati, the only really event that's on, you know, at the moment. And some players would have played, you know, an event maybe the week before, but generally it's, it's going to be the Cincinnati's the only preparation. And as we've seen, there's been a lot of upsets early on, and, you know, especially seeing Sophia Kennan and Pliskova go out in early rounds. And, you know, to see that happen, it's going to be an interesting U.S. Open and, you know, does this US Open have an asterisk next to its name, you know, as people are saying, because, you know, it's going to be a very different preparation phase for a lot of players than they're used to. And maybe they can't get the six, seven, eight, nine matches that they need in preparation to peak for, for a Grand Slam as they normally would have. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite interesting, actually, that, yeah, that you, you bring up the asterisk comment. I, I Personally, I think yeah, it's the US Open. There's still good players there. You've got to win it. I, I don't think there's an asterisk there. Um, I, I actually, yeah, a lot of upsets. And, and one, Dominic Team, for instance, if you've been following tennis uh, while it's been in lockdown, he's played every single EXO on, <laughs> on, on every surface. Uh, and he's, he's won basically everything. But first round here, he, he gets uh, touched up quite, quite, quite a fair bit. And it just shows the difference as well between playing practice matches and playing in actual competition. And that, and that was something uh, with Fabiano that we, we did talk about. Um, yes, he could have practiced and played a lot of practice sets, but the, the reality of actual competition was something that we wanted him to go through and that sort of factored in the number that we, we came up with. Yeah, it's really hard to simulate that kind of match pressure. It's really hard to simulate the travel component a lot of the time. You know, it's really hard to simulate living in a bubble. <laughs> it's going to be, you know, quite a unique situation for all players. And, you know, when you talk about peaking, you know, it, the hardest concept I've always found with a lot of athletes, it's a lot of trial and error. So if you're a young player out there or you're a coach working with an athlete, you know, trial some different different lead-ups to an event. You know, play right up until the day. You know, try and have a break the day before. Try and have a break two, two days out, three days out. And make sure you try and work, work on what will work for that athlete. The hardest thing I find with a Grand Slam is that you play every second day. So if you, if you don't really have a day off anywhere leading up to that event or a couple of days off and freshen up, you generally play a match. Then the next day you train anyway. And the next day you play a match. The next day you train. There's no real day off. So it's very hard to find your balance between peaking, resting, having that, you know, uh, probably not fatiguing in matches, but also having the ability to be match hard and, Finding that balance with your athlete as a coach is quite the challenge. 
Yeah, completely agree. And and, and you, you touched on it before that the challenge this year is it's something we've we've never really had. And 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 the switch this time going from hardcore to, to clay quite quickly. In fact, some of the clay events are starting in the second week of the US Open and the challenges have started. So there's going to be a, a number of players that are switching quite quickly. Um, I'm sure there's injury concerns with that um, as well. So uh, any tips from you, Mark, in terms of switching surfaces and scheduling? Yeah, look, at the end of the day, I think players are doing what they need to do to survive and playing tournaments, no matter where it is, is going to be important for them from a financial perspective, also from a mental perspective uh, to keep get some normality and keep some normality in their life. You know, I think we're starting to, to grasp this concept of um, specialization early on in, in players' developments. And if you don't have adaptable athletes early on, if you've got you know specialized athletes from a young age, it is very hard in this situation because players have to adapt week in week out. You know sometimes from day to day they're going to have to adapt to different situations, scenarios, environments, and surfaces. So I think we need as as coaches to continually evolve our athletes into more rounded, holistic players that can adapt to anything at any time. And COVID has probably taught us all that as individuals is the ability to adapt. So. You know, obviously we want the ideal scenario of peaking at the right time, but sometimes you just can't get that situation. and You can't mold it to what you want. You need to adapt to whatever's in front of you. And this year is going to throw that challenge out. And I feel like, you know, the players who can adapt the best are, are going to go really well. And great to see Andy Murray back and doing such a great job on the court, you know, against Verev uh, overnight. And, you know, the ability for him to come back and he's done so much just to get back to playing the game and now he has to adapt his game and evolve it. It's incredible. And, you know, it's going to be an interesting US Open. I think, you know, the numbers are going to be interesting. I think data is going to be quite different of what it has been in terms of the numbers. I think there'll be some some players who have changed their game right up in the last few months in the ability that they've had through COVID-19. Yeah, definitely. I, I'm, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. Even this week, just the... Coming out of lockdown, the amount of double faults. I think uh, someone had put a stat on uh, on the screen saying it was up three hundred percent. Wow! <laughs> uh, and and every every match that I've been involved with, with with a specific player, there's just a lot of double faults, and it's a combination of a few things. I think mean, they're using the balls from Cincinnati on the U.S. Open courts, and it's reacting in a way it's a bit stranger, um, so it's, it's seeming faster. But but yeah, just at the, at, on the serve, there's lots of balls flying long. Um, and you know why? One of the things I'm seeing is the tightness. They're so nervous playing their first up tournament. They're so worried about what's going to happen. You know, they haven't played for a long time. They're not match hard. They're mentally a little bit fragile. This is going to be the time where anybody can come through at these sort of moments and it's possible for anything to happen. And that's what I love about this situation right now. I'm hoping, I'm hoping, I know Novak's going to go in there as one of the uh, probably clear favourites, but I'm hoping that someone comes out of nowhere and, you know, is able to find their rhythm right at the right time and take this US Open that we haven't seen win a Grand Slam. It's going to be a really exciting couple of weeks ahead. Yeah, can't wait. Just before we end, Mark, I, I love the topic today and I'd love to put a question to you on on some of the junior athletes that you've got sort of uh, playing a lot of these uh, events and, and scheduling is crazy. I, I know when I played a lot of juniors, it felt like you're playing sometimes two matches in a day and, and then you're playing the next week again and you've got qualities sometimes. So what's your thought process when you, you, you sort of sit down with a parent or a junior about, you know, scheduling their, their season? Yeah, it's a good question. I think it's pretty pretty broad range because there's obviously so many athletes in different situations. So anyone from a junior perspective is always a development 
theory behind the the scheduling side of it. You know, what are they going to get out of the tournaments? How many tournaments they need to play? How many matches do we need to aim for? Um, what's the focus of that tournament? Is it just purely match play? Is it result based? Um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty much at a young age, not huge on the results, but at the same time, you know, it becomes a habit to win and it becomes a habit to lose. So you need to focus in somewhere around, you know, going out there from a winning perspective and putting in the processes to, to gain some success. So, you know, generally it's more around the development, obviously a young age going through puberty, you don't want to overload them from an injury perspective, but at the same time, you don't want to underload them because it's the same problems to occur. So it's finding the balance between, you know, the loadings and finding the balance between successes and failures as well. And making sure there is a blend of winning as well as, you know, a blend of getting a realistic uh, view and getting some, getting your ass handed to you a little bit at times. And, you know, I think it's uh, it's important to have that balance from a mental and physical perspective. So, you know, I think junior scheduling is quite challenging because, you know, there's not, I mean, as you said, there's like two or three matches a day, there's doubles, you know, you're there all day, every day. It's hard from a parent perspective to stay there all, all day as well and, and forego work. And there's so many challenges that lie in terms of junior, junior prep. I think we've got a whole show in itself just on that. And, you know, I think, uh, if we can understand our athletes, then we'll understand how to schedule them. And that's kind of the, the process I go with is understand where your athletes are, what they need, and then find a way to schedule around that. So I know you're a busy man over the next few weeks. There's going to be so much data coming out of the next few weeks that you're obviously going to have your, your hands on. And I know I wish you well with all your players and the research that you're doing. And obviously the nights that you're going to stay up and I hope the players appreciate the work that you put in because it is a, a big job. And I see your Twitter account at midnight and, and I just don't envy what you do sometimes. So thanks for all your work. And you're the busiest man going around these next few weeks. So good luck, all your players, yourself, and uh, wishing you well moving forward. Shane Leonage from Data Driven Sports Analytics is always with me as my co-host on the show. Thanks, Mark. Uh, very kind words. Yeah, it'll be an interesting two weeks. I'll uh, probably have a beard bigger than yours by then. So. <laughs> Back to the beard. Uh, you're working on it. <laughs> Uh, thanks very much, Shane, and much appreciated. All the best. And thanks again for joining us on Crunching the Numbers. I'm Mark Safoulis, your host from The Tennis Menu. Go to www.thetennismenu.com. We have launched our new products, so get out there and have a look. Shane's got his data package there, all ready for you guys to get your hands on the latest data in the game. Also, check out Aussies Only in the Huddle and your weekly show on the first serve which is hosted by Brett Phillips and Sam Broth, which is a fantastic show to look at every single week. That has been another episode of Crunching the Numbers. Enjoy the Cincinnati Open and obviously the US Open coming up. So thanks very much for joining. Subscribe to The First Serve via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your preferred podcast platform to listen at your convenience to all our weekly content including past editions of Crunching the Numbers, as well as our dedicated commercial radio program each Monday on SEN that you may have missed at 7pm Eastern, Aussies only, and in the huddle, produced by Study and Play USA. Subscribe to The First Serve, your home of tennis. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi finals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply.